Scarlettos. So we are back for our fourth companion episode. I'm glad you're keeping track. I am. Tr- I'm trying to keep track Thanks, because buddy. I've heard there's a little confusion as to what we mean by a companion episode. Oh, well, do tell. So, yes. So when we're seeing companion episodes, it's we watch stuff all the time to do our research, documentaries, narratives, everything. Plus, we watch things all the time just for fun so and for work and for work that's true so um a lot of times what happens is we will be watching something that we want to talk about and so we'll suggest to the other person hey i think you should go watch this and it just so happens that most of the things we've talked about so far are on netflix we're not shilling for netflix they just do have good content and This is pretty much our conversation about what we're watching. And it's called a companion episode because it's our suggestion for you to go watch something about true crime or true events or criminal activity that we think spurs good conversation. And this is our conversation to go along with what we have watched. Exactly. So it's companion is some project or piece of content that it directly relates to it's not necessarily about the case but it's more specific to the documentary or whatever is conveying the the message of that that crime so uh spoilers ahead potentially fair Uh, warning all disclaimers all this same old (laughs) everything we always usually say all right so today yes we are discussing again the netflix documentary killer inside the mind of aaron hernandez um this is one that we're really interested in talking about me personally i am not a a football person per se I have watched it in the past I am from the south so I there's something innate about that Um, but for the most part anytime I have ever been interested in going to watch football it's really just to go and eat the food unlike Sonia I am a huge football fan (sighs) here we go (laughs) you opened this up I thought it was important to give context to tell you what I know versus what you know, which are vastly different. And that is true. I I know a lot about football. Uh, I wear my heart on my sleeve when it comes to my teams. Uh, I am from Wisconsin, so uh, I bleed green and gold for the Green Bay Packers. And I love the Badgers, Wisconsin Badgers. Um, college football, NFL, I'd say I lean towards the NFL, but I love college football. And I remember when all this Aaron Hernandez stuff went down and I remember watching Aaron Hernandez. So for those not in the know about the Aaron Hernandez story, 
He was a, a tight end, a fantastic superstar tight end, first for the University of Florida Gators, and then in the NFL for the New England Patriots. And he is at least the first known player to play an entire season after killing and being suspected of killing another uh, another person. And it's not just another person. We're going to discuss, uh, as it's told in the documentary, there are actually a number of crimes and violent acts that he did. So, uh, and I say he's the first known because others have been found not guilty, so I'm not going to name names, but he's not the first to be accused of crimes like this that have gone on to play in the NFL. He is just the first to ultimately be found guilty. Interesting. I did not know there were others who were accused. There is one in particular, but like I said, he was found not guilty, so I am not going to drag his name into this. Okay, well, sidebar later. Interesting. Check that out. All right, so... This documentary talks about Aaron Hernandez, as Brittany said, uh, the crimes that are in question, um, and he was found guilty for murdering his fiance's sister's boyfriend, Odin Lloyd, in uh, June of 2013. As we continued, you know, moving through the crimes that he was either, you know, essentially accused of or found guilty of, he was acquitted of murdering two men in a drive-by shooting in Boston. Uh, which happened in June of 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's apparent to most people that he was, here's what we'll say about this for sure. Was he there when it happened? Yes. Yep. Was he the one that pulled the trigger? Unclear. I, unclear, right. The other person he was with was Alexander Brad, Bradley, who was was known as his assistant, his drug dealer, I guess he furnished him weed, which, and then uh, if you ask Alexander Bradley, a very good friend of his, which is what every drug dealer thinks when they have, (laughs) (laughs) they're supplying drugs to somebody uh, at this caliber anyway, where they're best buds, but really Aaron Hernandez probably just wanted weed. So now that we've determined what Aaron Hernandez was either accused of or found guilty of, right? He he was murdered, found guilty of murdering Odin Lloyd. Uh... Acquitted of murdering two people in a drive-by shooting in Boston with Alexander Bradley. He was investigated in the double shooting of a couple of people in Gainesville, Florida, while he was at the university, who, of which there was a witness who recanted later. So somebody saw something and then later said they didn't. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, let's introduce you to Aaron Hernandez, if you don't know him. And if you've been living under a rock and you don't know anything, here's what you should know. He was born in Connecticut. He was born Aaron Joseph Hernandez from a Puerto Rican immigrant descent. This was a guy who was born in, he was born in November 6, 1989. He was born a couple years after I graduated high school. So, you know, he's a young guy, you know, he, uh, he grew up in, uh, you know, excelled in sports in his, in his whole life. You know, he, I think, you know, topped out at 6'1". He was always in incredible shape. He was, he excelled at basketball he excelled at football. He excelled at track. Um, when you see pictures of him when he was young, he was bigger than most of the other players. Oh, yeah. He dominated them. He had a lot of potential. He um, he he was he was built to be an athlete, and he yes. worked at it. Yes. He worked hard. He uh, his, his dad, being uh, a former player at UConn was his head trainer and 
failure was not an option. He became a superstar tight end, and he would say that for every pass he dropped, his dad made him do 10 push-ups. So hard work and accelerating at all sports wasn't an option for him. It was a requirement. Right. And his father was, um, you know, pretty hard on him. But I don't, I think that from what I understand, Aaron and his father were very close. So, you know, he had a lot of support there um, through his, you know, his father's life. Unfortunately, his father died when he was 16. So even before that, you know, I think that we can, from what we know now, Aaron grew up in a household that was a household of extreme emotions. Um, his father had a tendency to drink, and apparently when he did, he acted out uh, against his, his mom and the kids, and it was really rough on them. And um, a lot of people will say and excuse that kind of behavior for being passionate, but this was over the line of passionate. This was the line of violence. This is abusive. This yeah. isn't passion. This is abuse. Yes, but still, Aaron and his father were very close up until the point where his father passed away. Aaron took the death of his father very, very hard. He was the stable force in his life. He kept him within those lane lines, and he kept him focused. And it appeared at that point when his father passed away that he, um, you know, things changed for Aaron. He he did not have that structure and that support anymore. And unfortunately, uh, it appears that he could not find that with his mother. No, he never got along at all with his mother, Uh well, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. I wasn't sure if we wanted to dive in right, but go for it. Let's I'm going to dive in yeah. because this, this pissed me off. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying that people whose you know, spouses pass away or they get divorced or whatever, your life doesn't go on. But Aaron was 16 years old. Right. Yes. His mother almost immediately started dating the husband of his cousin uh-huh. who was dying from cancer. Breast cancer, yep. Yeah. So here's, I thought the documentary explained this very well. What do you think's gonna, what do you think is going to happen when the 16-year-old boy, man, because he's a big dude, wakes up, walks out and sees his cousin's husband cooking breakfast in his underwear with his mom? <sighs> This was devastating to Aaron, and he really held it against his mom. And there are plenty of audio tapes where he and and Terry, his mom's name, um, discussed this. And it was a real challenge for him. He was very upset with her. And on more than one occasion in the documentary, they play this audio that he was really trying to reach out to her and make sure and make her understand what the impact of her decisions were on him. I mean, he says frequently, you know, what did you think I was going to do? Right. What did you expect from me? You know, if she wasn't there for him. And, and he, he really blamed her for that. He blamed her for a lot of what he would do the rest of his short life. He, he put almost all the blame in. And in conversations, he would go from being a son crying and reaching out to his mother to being an angry violent person over the phone telling her that she is to blame for everything that he did. And it was a a great conflict because he wanted to love his mother and he wanted her to love him, but he harbored so much anger. And so his cousin who was dying from breast cancer and whose husband cheated on her with Aaron's mother 
became that mother figure to Aaron. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of reasons behind that that we'll talk about a little bit later. But, you know, let's go through some of the events. So in spite of the difficulties that Aaron had with his father's death, he still went on to be very successful and be essentially, um, you know, offered, a, a, of course, a full ride at University of Florida um, as their star tight end. No, let's talk about that a little because somehow or another all roads lead back to Sonia being from Florida. <laughs> the things that I heard about um, that went on when I was in high school and then when I got out of high school and I lived in Florida until I was like 29 or 30. But the things that I heard that happened at those colleges to me was appalling. Um, I heard about a lot of date rape yep. from my friends. Sure. I heard about a lot of um, a lot of the players – you know, on all the different sports teams, um, being given things um, that they shouldn't have been given by the coaches and by right. the teams. I heard a lot about people who didn't even really go to class and didn't learn anything. That's pretty common. Uh, yep. Yeah. I heard a lot about a lot of parties that happened where there were gang rape situations. There was what I, I, people endearingly referred to as the train, which is disgusting, um, and that's essentially being some woman passing yep. out and a bunch of dudes yes. raping her. Right. Common. Uh, I heard about this a lot. And, you know, even in high school, unfortunately, I heard about this as well, and I was at a couple parties where I I was in close proximity to this happening. It didn't happen to me. didn't happen to my, you know, my, my close friends, my best friends, but it happened to people I knew very, very well, wow. and it was really sad. So this was the culture. Um, so I can only imagine when Aaron Hernandez was in college, um, you know, I'm sure it got, only got worse. And with this star, you know, quality uh, of these guys and, you know, this the free pass that they get, per se, while they're in school and they could do no wrong. Right. Untouchable. So you've got that kind of environment happening. So I personally am not surprised at all that I'm not surprised that a person like Aaron Hernandez would be involved in a situation in Gainesville that somehow either got pushed under the rug or went away entirely. Even, and I'm, I don't remember, was it a shooting, double shooting, or was it a double murder? I don't remember either. If you ask me what I think, my gut tells me that if there was a witness that spoke out against these four people who were, you know, suspects, the likelihood of that being accurate, their first account being accurate is probably good. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the school protected those boys if they were involved, which they were in the football program to make sure that um, there was no loss to the school. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And it was a double shooting. They did not die. Okay. So, you know, hey, Gainesville's a party town. I'm sure they were out partying. Somebody pisses somebody off. Somebody spills a drink, which we find later. Aaron apparently has real issues of people spilling drinks on or near him because he killed these other two dudes for doing the same in Boston. Um, but what we see here is a consistent pattern of, um, you know, his lack of emotional control. His impulse control is getting worse. Um, it... it Right around, it feels to me right around the time where he went from high school into college is where you start noticing these impulse controls uh, or the lack of. And probably, you know, he's got some triggers there happening because at 16 his father passes away. So it get, gets worse for him. He may not know how to deal with it. He's also got some things going on that we understand in this documentary and they share with us that I 
didn't understand um, to the extent that was were happening. Um, apparently, Aaron Hernandez had some um, issues with his own sexuality, and um, he was at the very least bisexual from um, from probably starting in high school when he was sexually active. In the documentary, you see that his best friend from high school, who was also his partner and his sexual partner his sexual Let's partner he essentially his friend is saying that while they never put a label on it they were more than friends and if he had to classify it they were probably boyfriends and so obviously Aaron was not alone in that plus there was also reference to a teammate of Aaron's from the New England Patriots right. who was an offensive lineman who, after he retired from the Patriots, came out as gay. So it's, of course, there are gay players in the NFL and in football. Of course there are. Now, to your point, of course, it's not, it's not accepted. It's not widely accepted. I think it's improving, but I think there's still a huge, gigantic stigma, and so people are probably terrified of that. Yeah. But I, I, I think just in the... At the very least, in the general population, things are much more acceptable now than they were back when Aaron was being so secretive trying to hide his own sexuality. Exactly. And Aaron had a lot of friends. You know, when you see pictures of him in this documentary, you know, he looked like a happy guy. And, you know, I'm going to sort of call out the elephant in the room. He was a very good looking guy. He was a really good looking guy. Like, wow. And he had a smile for days. He was, in my opinion, he was beautiful he had these cute dimples he looked like a happy-go-lucky he did i know um you know and i'm not saying that that excuses his behavior but it's it just speaks to the shame you know the talent that was wasted by his actions and um you know he it's just it's just sad the whole thing's pretty darn sad but um you know he had a lot going for him so you know here he is he goes to the university of florida there are some challenges he has there getting used to you know the culture getting away from his being away from his family and his friends um apparently he used to go back and forth to back home pretty frequently and um you know he who knows what happened you know when he went back home but it sounds like not a lot of good things happened what we do know about Aaron and which I think is interesting to talk about um is that he was a serious like marijuana smoker and I and I Hey, you know, pot's legal for the most part. Most states are in the states that I care about. And, um, you know, I don't think that's a big deal. But what I see that being for a person who smokes to the extent that he did, what he was, that he was self-medicating. He was definitely self-medicating. He was known to hang out in his man cave and smoke blunts with his friends for hours and hours and hours on end, which is not surprising as well. I I kind of think also about, um, you know, the your body and your body from an early age being put through those paces. Aaron, when he was playing high school football and even, you know, whatever it's called, little league football, whatever it is, when you're a little kid, yeah, yeah. you know, he got knocked out a couple of times. He got yes. injured a couple of times. Um, there was one time where his friend in the documentary mentioned that he knocked him out. Right. I mean, that's a lot for a little brain that's growing to go through. Yep. And these are probably the early stages of what we later find to be some pretty severe brain damage that he had so and something else i want to add about this also which as a 
Wisconsin Badger fan. This made me feel a little sad. <laughs> but uh, feature. I don't even know what that is. Is that like a college? University of Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> come on, Sonia. Uh, so, uh, so featured in the documentary is Chris Borland, who was a linebacker for the Badgers and played one year in the NFL for the San Francisco 49ers. Was, I really like that guy. Yeah. So he somebody if somebody has a brain. Thank God. Well, well yes. I mean, so, you know, not to. Not, not a pun, but, you know, he, he really thought hard about this he and did. made decisions. And he, he only played a year with the 49ers, not because he wasn't talented, but because he saw the effects that the NFL was having on people's bodies and brains and wanted to have a life beyond football. So, but jumping backwards to how the drugs are involved, one of the biggest, most key things that I found fascinating that he said is when he was a freshman at Wisconsin, at one of his first practices, he saw the upperclassmen going 110% at practice, then going over to the trainers and getting injections. And he said, oh my God, I can't believe it. They actually do steroids. That's not, that's not a joke. Like, that's not a thing. They really do cover up steroids. But it wasn't it's beyond steroids. Well, but no, 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 no. It wasn't steroids. It was what painkillers. It was toradol. It was toradol, yeah. which is a legal painkiller. Yeah. But they were expected. Pain was an expectation because if you weren't in pain, you weren't going hard enough. Yeah. Play through it. And Wisconsin is like, in my opinion, that just below top tier where Florida was top tier. If this is happening at Wisconsin, the like next level down, it's happening at the highest levels too. Ugh, no doubt. So you've got Aaron Hernandez on weed. He was probably doing other stuff. Sure. And he was probably on a regular healthy dose of painkillers too. Well, on the audio that you hear with him talking to his football friends, they joke about it. Yeah. I think that's the most disturbing part about this documentary that I just want to talk about a little bit. Um, when Aaron Hernandez talks with his friends. I mean, they record everything when you're in jail, so they have this whole history. And um, I got it, I found it almost offensive when he talked to his agent about, you know, joking that he could get endorsed by Smith & Wesson. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of pissed me off. I, me being pissed off at Aaron Hernandez's, Hernandez's for a variety of reasons. He had opportunities and he made choices contradictory to those opportunities that got him in this situation and I think that you know when all of this went down a lot of the commentators and you know the sports people who did not support him were because they knew how he got there you know and you know opportunities aside you know he had he had he had he made choices you know he put himself in this position you know yes did he have injuries due to football? Yes. Did he have brain damage due to football? Yes. Did he was he raised in an abusive environment? Yes. Did he have issues with his sexuality that could have contributed to his feelings? But there when I see video of him walking around with his acting like a total freaking idiot. You know, he wanted to be a gangster. He did. It, he was posing so much and I don't know if it's because maybe he was trying to hide his sexuality, I don't know. I mean, who knows why, but he really ha wanted to ha he wanted to portray this image of mm -hmm. him being, you know, 
the big dude. He wanted to be in control. He wanted to make sure everybody knew he was who was there and that, you know, he was the the center of attention in the room. And I think that was consistent behavior, you know, even from when he was young. But it wasn't when he was young, it was more about joking and having fun. And when as he got older, he got more angry. Let us let me get us back on track. Okay. So let's go back to he played at the University of Florida as a yep. star tight end. Yeah. Thereafter he was drafted okay, that's, in yep. the fourth round yeah. by the New England Patriots. He was 113th pick overall. That, in the time, considering he was coming from the University of Florida and their records and how well he did there, was a surprise to a lot of people. But it wasn't surprising to the people who knew him right? because he was known to have behavior problems. He wasn't your stereotypical New England Patriot because – you know, Belichick, man, he ran that place like a general. And that's, I think everybody knows that if you know, it, I mean, I know that and I don't know anything about football, but it's apparent that he is, Belichick takes football more seriously than anything else he does in his entire life. Winning to him is the most important thing. And apparently on occasion, he has made decisions to help him win that would be, could be considered illegal and, um, you know, or otherwise. Let's well, just call it that. Okay. I won't call it out because whatever, but we know what those things are. All right. Well, I'm, I am going to call some things out because I think that throughout Aaron Hernandez's college and then NFL career, a lot was overlooked. He was one of the top tight ends in all of college football, playing for back-to-back national championship teams with the University of Florida and still fell to the fourth round. And conveniently, I say... After what, after he was found guilty uh, of the murder of Odin Lloyd, certain senior responsible people at the University of Florida tried to slide under the radar and decided to try and disassociate themselves from the University of Florida in light of everything that was happening. Now, on top of that... Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, and, of course, Bill Belichick, who, let's be honest, winning is everything to him. He is the winningest coach in NFL history. He has more Super Bowls than anyone else. He is an amazing coach. They very proudly say that character is number one for them, Mm -hmm. which I personally do not agree with. Well... I also think that's ridiculous because at the same time, while they say character or a higher standard of character than most, that he has his players make choices that are contradictory to having a good character. I agree. And they uh, frequently sign players who may be excellent on the field, but are suspect off the field. And Belichick and Kraft both say that they do their due diligence when they are looking at every player that they are interested in drafting. They do background checks. They interview family, friends, everyone they've ever come in contact with to make sure they're getting the best possible player. Clearly, that's either BS, which is most likely, or they are just they did not do their due diligence and have just mistakenly overlooked Aaron Hernandez. I disagree with that. I think they did the due diligence and they didn't care. I agree with I that think completely. What's obvious to me 
after you mentioned to me, because again, you know, University of Florida, I'm like, oh, I, I kind of enjoyed this, you know, sort of dismantling of their credibility. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. Sorry about my UF people, but you know, I, I just always found it offensive the things that they allowed to happen. And in in the Urban Meyer situation here, where, um, you know, he, it, it, what's really clear and we know almost 100% happened, is that Urban Meyer talked to Bill Belichick and to Robert Kraft about Aaron Hernandez. And I think there was even conversation about him suggesting that he wouldn't be a good choice and he shouldn't be drafted and they should be careful. And I think he told a couple of other coaches the same information. He warned against it. Because you don't have a person at Aaron Hernandez's level coming out of college and being drafted fourth round. I right. mean, it was shocking to everybody. It is. It was. It was. You know? It was very surprising. So really, it, it's 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 the lottery of who wants to take the chance on this guy who may or may not be capable of managing himself on the team. And I guess if you look at all the teams and you say, well, who would have the best chance at making that happen? I guess you could say Bill Belichick because, again, he runs his team like a, a general. But he can't control the team all the time. And this guy was young. I mean, he was, what, 23 when he went to the NFL? Uh, the oldest. 21. I think he was 21. 21. Okay, yeah. so 21-year-old guy. Star. Capable beyond most players. And then he's got... You know, a lot of things happening in his life, you know, where he's got this closet of sexuality that he's struggling with. He's progressively damaging his brain, you know, as he continues to play. So he's got a lot of things working against him. Then he's thrown into this environment fairly close in proximity to where his where he's originally from, where he can go back to and hang out with those people who may or may not be helping him and mentoring him and supporting him in the way that he needs to, to not make these bad noises. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, you know, I, I look at like the Aaron Hernandez when he was young and, and, you know, this cute kid, you know, who you just, you know, in these pictures with this beautiful smile and you just want to hug him. And, you know, there's, it, it appears to be, real that he is a loving and caring and heartfelt person and something happened over time you know it was it was really clear to me that he started getting more angry and 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 being able to manage himself it was I mean just in the documentary I think they painted that picture it was subtle you know mm-hmm. and if you and I watched it again last night I've watched the whole series now twice the first time I was sad and I was confused and I didn't know much about it and I was curious um now when I watched it, just now again, all I was all I felt was frustration and anger. And I can point that in a lot of directions. I can point it to the NFL. I can point it to I can point it to Urban Meyer. I can point it to um, you know, the people who some of the people in his family who didn't support him in the way they needed to. Um, I can point it to like I said, a lot of reasons. But at the end of the day, Aaron Hernandez was an adult. And while he might have had could have had a compromised upbringing, it's not fair to say that he was, you know, he, he didn't participate in this. These were his choices that he no, made. He, he needs to take a whole whole full responsibility for this. He is an adult. He's responsible for his own actions. Yeah. And I appreciate that he may have dealt with challenges and I appreciate that his his upbringing may not have been ideal, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible. He was actually pretty privileged, and he had his whole life in front of him. He had a skill set that many people would kill for, and he could have gone on to be one of the greatest of all times, but he chose not to. He made that decision. It was almost like he was um, self-destructive. 
Yes. You know, I think at some point he, I don't know, he was a very confused dude. He, um, okay, so let's go back. Let's get back on track. We, again, talked about him being drafted in the fourth round. He went at the same time as Robert Grunkowski, Robert, Robert, Rob <laughs> Grunkowski, who... Same same draft class. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they played on, on the team together. Um, you know, he was a star. He So let's look at the timeline a little bit. Let's just recall and, and, and sort of step back here. Because back to the point of, you know, Brittany, when you mentioned that this was the first time that you'd ever had a player um, who was accused or, and I think we can safely say that either him or Alexander Bradley shot these two guys in the car, but to go on and play a whole season, an NFL season after doing that, the two guys who were murdered in the car in the drive-by shooting in Boston, that happened in June of 2012. Mm -hmm. He got his five million, five, sorry, five year, year, 40, 40 million or $41 million contract in August. Yep. Two months later, yes. after he kills two guys, he gets this big, sweet deal, and he goes on to play. Exactly. That is incredible. And it just goes to show you and, and, and really demonstrates to me how a person who, he, like him, he was so out of touch with himself. You know, he really, he was... I think he had three personalities. I think he had the personality um, that was sort of connected to his sexuality where he was, you know, he, he was struggling with that. I think he had the personality where he had this, like, you know, gangster behavior, you know, that it was, you know, hyper, hyper masculine, you know, to cover up the other sexuality, you know, issues that he had, um, you know. And then he had this other side of him where he was a fiance to his high school girlfriend and they had a baby yeah let's be clear about that he he had a baby with his girlfriend become fiance and he came across as a loving father he really did and what would become the his ultimate undoing was through his fiance because we want to get to the 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 biggest crime, the real reason why Aaron Hernandez is Aaron Hernandez. I don't. Did we have we not talked about it already? Oh, Lloyd. Oh, right. So he. I'm like, what? <laughs> Aaron Hernandez, his fiance's sister was dating uh, another guy who was another. He was like a well-known college football player. He was playing in the um, like semi-pro football yeah, league. Yeah, and he played in the semi-pro football league. Odin Lloyd. Uh, ultimately, Aaron was convicted of murdering Odin Lloyd in cold blood execution style. And if I'm not mistaken, I think leaving him like in an alley or something like that. Let's talk a little bit about Odin Lloyd. Let's talk about what happened there. Because this, is, this isn't the piece of the pie that I, I, I want to talk about. I like, go back to all the video... We have video of Aaron apparently reaches out to Odin Lloyd and says, hey, you know, holla, let's hang out or whatever. He, did you say holla? Holla! Well, you yeah, did, but, okay. yeah, yeah, I did. Because I, I, apparently that was his thing where holler at me. Holla! You know? um, he, you know, Odin Lloyd and Aaron Hernandez had planned to get together. It was about midnight. And, um, her, you know, Hernandez um or Odin Lloyd texted Hernandez and said you know hey are we still hanging out and Hernandez says yes I'll be right over Hernandez gets in the car we have a video of him getting in a car with his two compadres I don't even remember their names but whatever 
thug guys. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think that he had kind of started hanging out with these guys, um, not necessarily for protection, but maybe so. Um, there was a, there was a lot going on there. What, regardless, they were friends. He let this, these two guys who did not have good reputations and had rap sheets play with his daughter. There's video of that. There's so much video. It's crazy. So here's a guy. Here's now Aaron Hernandez in the car. Two guys in the car. Odin Lloyd gets in the car. In While in the car, you can see this text chain go back and forth that clearly Odin Lloyd was concerned about his safety. Yep. Because he texts, I guess, his girlfriend or yes. someone. Right. And, and he says, do you know who I'm with? And then he said, this is midnight. And then he responds to his own text and says, NFL, just in case. You know? Yep. And, and so clearly he had his own concerns. Now we have all this video of them driving all over the place. Drive, I mean, it's incredible the amount of video. <laughs> like here he's driving by this, 2.45 a.m. There's video of them driving up to this area where ultimately Odin Lloyd's body was found. So like kind of like this construction area with yeah, a lot of yeah. sand Re- yeah. dunes and stuff like that. <clears throat> yes. Um, or mounds of uh, dirt. Yeah. What a, it's... Yeah. I mean, the person who found Odin Lloyd was jogging through there. But um, to your point, Brittany, Odin Lloyd was shot four or five times. Uh, the, he, what appears to have happened, he was shot in his chest, he was shot in his neck, but I think the, and he was shot in his spine and to shoot someone in their spine, he would have had to been on the ground with his face down. Exactly. Um, you know, so Aaron Hernandez was shooting someone who what didn't have any weapon to defend themselves and it was clear his intent was to kill them. And he did. Yes. Two final, two final shots. He, he essentially emptied the, the gun into the guy. Um, you know, over time, you'll see in the documentary, they talk about Aaron Hernandez and his tattoo choices and, you know, he's got a gun on his whatever, all these tattoos and, you know, you'll see the progression of his tattoos. And I, I feel like that that sort of speaks a little bit to his own story as well and how he sort of either defended or was seeking, you know, sort of forbid forgiveness for the, his own actions. What I do think about Aaron being in prison and, you know, when he talked to the people, I don't think that he had – I think Aaron Hernandez knew the difference between right and wrong. I don't think he had any remorse for what he did. So here we are, Aaron Hernandez, 23 years old. He's just killed somebody. Yep. He uh, His paranoia really picks up after this. Mm-hmm. He just – the previous offseason signed a $40, $41 million five-year contract with the Patriots. Now he wants out of New England. Well, he wanted out of New England for a couple of reasons. So the Odin Lloyd thing, you know, happened. And um, I think he wanted out of New England actually prior to that because he had gone on some trip with o- or with uh, Alexander Bradley and they had some issues with each other. And, you know, we see also in the documentary that at one point Alexander Bradley says that you know, Hernandez shot him in the face too. Yep. And they go back and forth, you know, so there's a, the paranoia that builds up between Aaron for Aaron is really about being found out about the original two murders. And that was where he and Alexander Bradley were together. And he was worried about that. So that's when I think he gets really paranoid and he asks the new England Patriots to be traded and they say no. Well, and if I'm the Patriots, I would say no too. Here's a superstar tight end that he was in the Super Bowl the previous year, the year before that, whatever it was. But the, well, 
let's not let him off the hook that much because while it's a business, there was a, their talent development guy or whatever. Somebody gets him an apartment. Well, and says, okay, so that's that's, I mean, so that's where I'm going. They with contributed it. to no, this. No, no, they no. just didn't that's, like that's what be I'm, cool that's with what it. I mean, no, uh, that's what I want to talk about because they he wanted out of New England. He wanted to trade. He it's either maybe he was trying to run, maybe he thought he needed to get out of there to change his life and turn his life around. The Patriots said no. Whoa, and- hold on. One more thing. The reason he, all of that for sure, but he left a guy alive after shooting him in the face. And so when the guy called him, he was like, who's this? I mean, let's let's be real. If he shot that guy in the face, his the, number one reason for wanting to get the hell out of there was that he's got a guy who could easily track him down and kill uh-huh. him at any point. Yes. That's where he got paranoid because well, yeah. he knew that there were repercussions to his own actions. His paranoia was real and it was justified. For sure. But he set himself up for that. But he, the Patriots, instead of saying, no, we're going to, you know, instead of saying, yes, we're going to trade you, they, of course, said no, but... They contributed to it because he has a mansion. He is has a place to live. He lives with his fiance and his daughter. But the Patriots say, hey, I understand you're concerned. So the Kraft family sets him up with an apartment. Why does he need an apartment? He doesn't. That's where... I think that was his consolation prize for them not trading him. Okay, fine, but you don't still has to be in the game. If they don't give him something, he's probably going to just fall apart and not be as good as, you know, they need him to be. Okay. So he uh Aaron Hernandez is, uh now has his own apartment. His paranoia is growing. Odin Lloyd is dead. Take us to the next step. Uh well, he's arrested. Yep. He goes to trial. He's found guilty. He doesn't have much, um, doesn't appear to have much emotion by that verdict. Because I think he knew it was coming. I agree. But then, and maybe, you know, okay, yes, sure. So, and I think he was in denial because even when he talked on the phone and I don't know if there was ever anybody that he confessed to. So here's where I, I don't totally disagree, but I don't completely agree. I don't think, so... I think she knew. I think that... I don't think he told her, but I think she knew. Exactly. I don't think he ever said, nor was she involved, nor was she in on it, nor was there ever anything that was very clear to her, I'm helping him because he's a murderer. But I think in her heart, in her mind, she knew. Sure. Absolutely. That was the father of her child, and she had to protect her child, and the way to do that was to protect him. And I think that you saw some frustration coming out from her and him based on some of the jail jail phone calls or prison phone calls from prison. Sure. Because she saw him changing Mm -hmm. and turning into someone that she didn't know. And she called him out on it. You're angry. You're violent. You are using language and referring to people in ways that you never used to before. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with you? You, This is not who you are. Yeah, she saw him progressing. She did. And, and I, I really started to feel for her. Yeah. Because I think, and I think maybe that played into her starting to know he really is guilty. Because I think she, even if she knew she didn't want to know and she didn't want to admit it. And I think she started to come to terms with, yeah, this probably really is happening. Yeah. I mean, that, and I'm sure that was a struggle for her because she had had a child with him. So yes, of course. So now she's got to think about what that means to their life in the future mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe make her question, you know, 
her decisions because again, you know, he's hanging out with some, you know, not so great people. There's a lot of videotape, you know, talking about, you know, and showing him communicating and hanging out with these two guys who accompanied him to kill Odin Lloyd. The day, the next day, they're on a video in his man cave with him, hanging out with the baby, holding yep. the baby. So I don't care what anybody says, you know, if the attorneys were like, oh, you know, Aaron, Her so I think at the end of the trial, the twist, <laughs> the stupid twist, was that the Aaron Hernandez attorneys finally said, you know what? He was there. He just didn't do it. And he was scared for his life. He thought these guys were going to hurt him. Yeah. Well, we know that's bullshit. And the prosecutors were able to really, really demonstrate that in these videos where he's hanging out with them the next day. And they're all like, hey, bro, you're awesome. You know, fist pump bullshit, you know, and they're hanging out with his little baby and they get in the car and they drive off. What I saw in those videos and what that showed me was that he felt that he was successful at whatever he had been doing with them. And apparently that means the night before they had killed Odin Lloyd, in my opinion. I mean, it was like a, you know, cool, we're awesome. You know, I mean, it was just, I thought it was just really weird. I don't think he didn't appear to me to care about any of his actions. No, I don't think he did. I mean, to me, I felt like he would, he felt that he was successful at what he wanted to achieve. And that was getting rid of Odin Lloyd mm -hmm. for some reason. Right. There's a lot of speculation on why he wanted to get rid of Odin Lloyd. And I don't think anybody will ever know. But, um, you know... I'm sure Aaron Hernandez had a lot to hide. He had a ton to hide. And Odin Lloyd, he was close with him. He was his, Aaron's fiance's sister's boyfriend. They, uh, they spent a lot of time together. They were buddies. They spent a lot of time together. And actually, I, I, something quickly I want to get back to, and then I'm probably going to, we're probably going to move into towards wrapping this up. But his sister, uh, excuse me, Aaron's fiance testified on his behalf and said that she does not have a relationship with her with her sister, Odin's girlfriend. They have never been close. But as <laughs> Well, he, she didn't respond. She didn't say well, they were never okay, close. You're right, she you're just right. didn't respond. She didn't respond. She chose to not respond. And her sister pretty much contradicted that. And of course there's video, like you said, so much video for all of this of the two of them hugging and embracing and crying the day they find out that Odin was killed. Yeah. It's, um, you know, things turn for the worse pretty quickly. So now we've got the crimes aside us. I think we pretty much set that up. I'd say look at the documentary, you know, now that you've given, been given some context. <laughs> the other things that A I just want to, yeah, I just want to breeze by, you know, and, and I was really interested in seeing from the documentary was the discussion about the, uh, the brain damage, the CTE damage. Yes, exactly. Um, that, you know, whether that was a contributing factor for Aaron Hernandez. And I think what we see in that documentary is that was absolutely um, a contributing factor and may have driven him, you know, to this place. Um, CTE, for those who don't know, it's a chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And essentially it's just chronic, chronic brain swelling and trauma to the brain, um, which is not surprising for football players who are hitting the ground and hitting each other over and over and over again. I mean, your brain is jiggling around and it's got, you know, your brain is sort of floating in this, this substance, a viscous substance. And then, you know, but it's not enough to, you know, to keep the damage from happening when it's at the severity as you, you know, you, you receive and get injured in the NFL. I mean, and when you look at the video that they show over and over again, you know, there's so much footage of Aaron Hernandez having direct 
you know, head contact with mm-hmm. either the ground or other people, knocked him out a couple of times. Like, I mean, he was getting his, he was getting battered. Oh, he had a lot of concussions and concussions lead directly to CTE. Yes. So CTE is a neurodegenerative disease caused by repeated head injuries. The symptoms include behavioral problems, mood problems, and problems with thinking. Um, symptoms typically do not begin until years after the injuries, and CTE often gets worse over time and can result in dementia. Now, I think what CTE has certainly been in the news, you know, lately and over the past few years because of the high suicide rate of the the players that, um, you know, had, that had happened, that had occurred. And I think the closest one to these, um, this situation was when Junior Seau, um, you know, committed suicide. Right. And it was shown, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he shot himself in the chest so he could have his brain preserved and they could study him. And it was, um, it was easy to see that that was absolutely the case. That's actually, that's, yeah. I was going to talk about Junior Seau and mention that the other, uh, there've been a lot. I mean, uh, Jim McMahon, the, uh, former quarterback for the bears who's still alive. So, and, and CTE is impossible to diagnose until there can be an autopsy done on the brain. That it's believed that he he feels like he is having strong symptoms of it. The other major one that really comes to mind, and I feel like this might be a good topic for our podcast sometime down the road, is Chris Benoit, who was a professional wrestler mm-hmm. with uh, WCW and then WWE, and of course he was uh, he was involved with a double murder suicide where he murdered his wife and child and the next day killed himself and his his brain was found to be the brain of a alzheimer's patient in their 80s and he was maybe in his late 30s at the time so this is a terrible terrible disease getting back to what you were saying earlier about how helmets are improving uh they're getting a lot better it definitely is the game is getting safer but you're never going to get rid of head injuries. Right. Especially when you start at such an early age, right. pushing these guys to the limits. I mean, you know, there's so much pressure for them because if they don't perform at that young age, they will not go on. You know, their career yes, exactly. will be over. So right. they are pushing it, pushing it, pushing it from the very beginning because there's a possibility that they won't continue past a certain point. Um, all right. So the only other thing that I want to mention that I thought was perplexing. Okay. And I did some investigating because – what was confusing to me is how a person like Aaron Hernandez could smoke marijuana from sunup to sundown, 24, you know, 7, 365 days a year, and still play for the NFL, who... Does drug know, testing? Does, yes, they say they do drug testing. I just want to put a little context around that because I was confused by that. I'm like, how is this guy smoking weed all the time, you know, if he's got drug testing? Well, apparently the NFL drug testing, by the way, there's only a certain period of the year that you're drug tested. Probably during the season, right? Nope. It's before the season. Uh, drug really? testing starts on, this is my my, my joke. Okay. This is lame. Here but we go. Oh, boy. NFL drug testing starts on April 20th. 420, <laughs> That's 420. There's no way that's real. That's absolutely real. Look it up. That's actually probably the official start of the next season. That's probably why. I think it's right before the in. I think it's, it starts at spring training, and it's right before the season actually starts because that's what the I mean. window 
is 420, April 20th through sometime in August. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, like, that's probably, like, because the official start of the future season, I think, is with the NFL draft. And so that's probably, like, right either before or right after the draft when the new players are coming. And so that's... Yeah, yeah. That, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And the uh, apparently the drug tests are, are fairly easy to pass. I'm it's not, not that difficult. Uh, it's funny because there are a lot of players that get caught. Yeah, because I don't know how Aaron Hernandez, with the habit that he had, could have ever passed a test without having some kind of help. Yeah. And he'd probably be the first to tell you that that was true. Oh, I'm sure that was true. The other thing, the, the last thing that I want to talk about that made me think Hernandez, his last moment of cunning. So he hanged himself was the night of or the day after or within a couple of days. Two days. Two days of being found not guilty of the double murder. Oh, no. Maybe it was longer. He hanged himself, two, he hanged himself two days after essentially some reporters outed him. To the press. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but it wasn't long after he was found not guilty. Not guilty. He was found not guilty. He but, was acquitted of those two crimes. Well, the, yeah, so he was still in prison for the murder of Odin Lloyd, but he was found not guilty for a previous double murder. Right. But here's where I thought this was super interesting. Because he was, he was found not guilty of that. He hanged himself in his cell. A since-changed Massachusetts state law stated that... He had an on or in a he was pending appeal for the Odin Lloyd case. If someone dies while in prison serving a sentence for a conviction they were a crime they were previously convicted of, but are in the process of being a, uh, doing an appeal, they are exonerated. That's right. So it's called abatement. As as a result, his uh, his contract with the Patriots was nullified based on his crimes and being found guilty. But now in the state law, he was now not guilty, which means the remainder of his $40 million contract went to his wife and child. Well, it was supposed to. It, w- it did initially. Uh-huh. Then Robert Kraft led the charge to get that law overturned. Mm-hmm. So he ultimately did not have to pay, but I thought that was a sadly brilliant move on Aaron Hernandez's front because he knew he wasn't going to get out of prison and this was an opportunity for his family to still get that money. Uh, I agree. I don't give him that much credit. The reason that, and, and uh, the reason I say that is because I don't think Aaron Hernandez had the brain to figure any of that out himself. He was in the prison where a prior priest who had been found guilty of, you know, sexual abuse against boys uh, and children in general. Boston. He had, it was the same situation. So again, um, and he was killed in prison and he had been pending an appeal and abatement was enacted. So this was just, they had already seen this happening. Yeah, Aaron yeah, Hernandez was... didn't find new information and he didn't go discovering this and looking in any law books. It was just something that was one on the prison because they had had a previous instance of it and it wasn't that long before he got there. I, I want to mention, <clears throat> I don't have much more to give for this conversation. Um, <clears throat> Aaron Hernandez hanged himself in his cell, as we said. He left three or four, depending on who you ask, letters explaining himself. One was to his wife. 
One was to his daughter. And one was to Jose Baez. Oh, right. Our favorite attorney, because he also defended Casey Anthony. Call back to Casey Anthony, episodes one and two, Scarlettos. Jose Baez is apparently a really great attorney, because on multiple multiple accounts, he's gotten people off of things that they've clearly done. The other fourth letter is where I, um, and I started researching this this morning, and this is maybe where I got even more kind of freaked out. The fourth letter, they say, was to his, Aaron Hernandez's jailhouse lover. Another oh, another yep. inmate. I, uh-huh. By the name of Kyle Pure Kennedy. And apparently Mr. Pure had released this letter in a book. I didn't really find the letter, but there were a lot of, you know, quotes from the letter. And it didn't appear to be anything out of character for Hernandez. I wouldn't be surprised if he said some of this, if this was a person that he was hanging out with. And and if you believe the letter loved, um, to the extent that he had loved no one other. Wow. So uh, I'm not going to say too much about Kyle Kennedy. I will just say to you f- folks out there and to Brittany, if you don't know anything about this guy, look him up. I and I'm just not, did. He, uh, yeah, he's a... He's a character. He's very colorful. He is. Yeah. So I I don't know how much credibility he has, um, but, you know, it appears that he had some relationship and some communication with Aaron Hernandez. I will not speculate on what that was, but they appeared to know each other. The thing I mentioned, Kyle Kennedy and his name and why, you know, I'm not trying to sort of make it, you know, whatever, painting a picture. But what Kyle Kennedy did say that was interesting to me, besides that Aaron had wrote him a letter and providing that letter to someone, was that Aaron always used to tell me that he had four murders. And so that means that from our perspective, I don't know where those other two would be. Two, one. Sorry, three. One more. One more. One more. Exactly. Shot two, killed Odin Lloyd. So who's the fourth? Exactly. I absolutely believe that it's possible that he killed someone else. I do too. Um, who, who that other person may or may not have been, who knows? But I thought that was interesting information that Kyle Kennedy threw out there. Am I saying that Kyle Kennedy isn't lying? <laughs> absolutely not. He doesn't look like a very good dude in my opinion. But hey, I'm not judging. He's probably had some challenges in life. I hope he turns his life around, stays out of jail. But, you know, based on his record, he's definitely been in and out of jail. So I don't know how much credibility he actually has. But um, interesting food for thought. But, you know, hey, it's a, it's an interesting documentary. I love that Netflix in general is attempting to raise the bar on content and to um, – it's feeding, you know, us true crime fans in a way that I really appreciate. So I, uh, I really love all of their documentaries and the documentary series. Um, all of their true crime, you know, documentaries I think have been really on point. So thank you, Netflix. And um, I hope you guys enjoy this, this episode, and I hope you guys do take a look um, – I, I, take a look at the the killer inside the Aaron Hernandez story. I think it's really interesting, and if anything, it hopefully it shines light on the CTE issue, and um, you know get some focus on that and getting these guys some relief because you know it's a path that they shouldn't continue to go down. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, t- remember to tune in every Sunday Funday for a new episode of Scarlet. All right, Scarlet fans, have a great week. We will talk to you soon. Some of these actions may have caused irreparable harm. 
that's actually, that's exactly where I'm going right now. 